rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. We have a special guest, John Adovino, championship PSAL baseball umpire, servicing New York City. His son Adam just signed a three-year deal to join the formidable setup that is the New York Yankees. In it, we discuss his experience officiating baseball in the city and his only experience officiating Adam and his affinity for the rules. So much so that he sends out a rule of the day via email, servicing 600-plus officials. Find out how to get on that list and my conversation with John Adovino now. Okay, welcome to a special edition of Referee Rant. I'm Ralph the Ref, and I'm here with a special guest, John Adovino. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. First of all, congratulations to your son. I know he's playing for the home team, New York Yankees. He's going to be in pinstripes. Uh, how do you feel about seeing him more often now at the mound at, at home? <laughs> Watching your son play baseball is never easy, so this is uh, going to be one tough three years. But yeah. he's as happy as he could possibly be, so if he can take it, I can take it. That's great. Um, and again, congratulations. Um, we didn't we didn't do as well as uh, I, I would have hoped last year, but hopefully um, he'll definitely help the setup with uh, Dylan Batantis and, and our closer. Hopefully um, they do some damage. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a fun year. Okay, so something that I, I know that you wanted to speak on. What, what do officials do in your, in your mind? And if you could speak on well, your experience. I, um, I think the public has a, a, a false idea of what it is that referees and umpires do um, in a game and and it's kind of important that people begin to understand um, the first our first job is to make sure that nobody gets hurt that and, and that the field is that that the game is played safely there's no negligent behavior going on everybody has a good chance of of um, accomplishing their tasks uh, on a field that will support it in a safe manner once that's automatic across the board everywhere but once that's done we have two other jobs the first one is the one that everyone knows and that is to witness and then report so our job is to be in position to see what happens and then let everybody know what happens and therefore this is the award this is the penalty this is what we saw this is what the rule book says happens on that but there's another problem that goes on and I think this causes uh, some trouble along the line is that I, I find the most difficult thing in umpiring is that on Monday I might have top-level AAA caliber high school players, a pitcher who's throwing 92 and cracking off great breaking stuff. And on Tuesday I have a nine-year-old team that is new to the travel leagues and is just trying to find its way. I have to call those two games completely differently. Mm. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat a lot of box in the second game. I'm going to have a completely different strike zone in the second game than I'm going to have in the first game. And I have to understand the quality of these players and what we're trying to do to get each of them to the next level. 
So we're trying to keep the carrot just a little bit in front of the horse, make the game um, difficult enough so that the players have to uh, overcome in order to succeed, because at the next level uh, it's going to get more difficult still. But at the same time, not be so tight and rigid that um, you know the nine-year-old game becomes a walkathon and we're balking kids all over the place. Uh, you know, sometimes they're going to eat a balk and just let the kids play a little bit. Right. So, so the, yeah, the, that's the, what we do. The best analogy I can say is thinking about um, dancing. So if we're dancing with hip hop, it's going to be a different cadence than a tango or a classical ballroom type of dancing. And you have to play all those different types of hats depending on what you're doing. And, you know, even for me, I uh, play even further hats. I have basketball, I have baseball, then I have adult league softball. Those are all different things that I have to take into account. And that's a perfect way of doing it, witnessing and reporting. Great. Um, I think that's what we do. Uh huh. How did you initially get involved in the game of baseball? Well, like every other kid, um, I, I started playing in the street when I was a kid. Um, uh, 1961, I was six years old, so the name Mickey Mantle was probably the first name I ever heard. And it was Roger Maris's year of 61 home runs. We played in the street. I played the local recreation leagues and played that all the way through until I was um, probably 14 or 15. Uh, then, you know, as you said, um, I, don't, I don't remember if you said, I, I am an actor full time. That's what I do for a living. And when I was in high school is when I found the theater. So the theater took all of my attention after that. Um, while I was a good player, I was not a great player. Uh, I could hit, I could throw, I had a good glove, but I was slow-footed. Um, I played first base and caught. Um, I was never going to be a pro, uh, had no aspirations to be, and I found something that I enjoyed doing more. When my son turned six, my wife uh, registered him to play baseball. I was away shooting a movie, and um, they came out to visit. And my wife told me that he played his first game. It was so cold that they all went in after the third inning to eat pizza. And by the way, your son is terrible. You have to go teach him to play. When you get home. <laughs> so, we lived up the block from the ball fields in Prospect Park. So we would go every night. And he became addicted to the game, completely fell in love with it. Um, and then there was a fellow who was taking out a travel team who wanted him to play. Um, and so he ended up starting to playing more serious baseball on that team. That fellow asked his assistant coach. He asked me to help him out. I had a rubber arm and could throw two hours of batting practice three or four days a week, ten months of the year. And so we became a very good team, and we coached uh, together for seven or eight years. When my son became a teenager, it got to the point where he really didn't want to hear it from me anymore. And to be perfectly frank, he already knew everything I had to tell him, so it was time to pass him on to the next guy. So now I went from being on the field to being behind the backstop, and I missed it. And once he left home to go to college and play in the college leagues, and then when he became a pro, I missed the time that we had together. Um, and uh, I, uh, the fellow that I had coached with had already become an umpire. He suggested it to me. And so I started to learn that craft. And so this about 12, 13 years ago, I began umpiring games. Now, John, when, when you first made the transition from being a coach and your experience with Adam this whole time, 
Um, was it a was it a difficult transition? Where did you already have a certain perception of officials before you when you coached and when you were playing? And then I, I think it, I think having been a coach has helped me a lot to be an umpire um, because as a coach I knew what I wanted from an umpire. I wanted to know what was going to happen on the field. If if this event happened, how was he going to rule it? If if the second, if my runner is stealing and the second baseman comes four feet in front of the bag between first and second, doesn't have the ball, and my runner has to go around him, he's blocking the base without the ball, am I going to get that call? I want to know that the umpire understands that that's a violation and that my, my uh, player is already protected to that base. There are a lot of umpires when I was coming up that would never have made that call. Let the kids play. So one of the things coaches want to know is what do I have to teach my players in order for them to get the results of their work? So being a coach really helped me to understand that that's what they want. Secondly, I know how difficult coaching is and their work needs to be honored. Uh, I have thrown coaches out of games, but very few. And I try never to. I will throw a parent out light years that, that, that well before I will ever throw out a coach because the coach wears the whistle and he or she is doing the work. The parents are just sitting there. They're of really no use. So, you know, go buy hot dogs and Gatorade for your kid and sit there and watch and cheer and have a nice conversation, but leave the rest of it to the people who are doing this. Hmm. Um, so I think being a coach really helped me out to understand what coaches want, and so I know how to handle a game. Um, also, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been complimented sometimes on how respectful I am to players, and that comes from being a coach as, as well. I, last year I was doing a game, and I had a, an 11-year-old score, and I was in the third baseline extended, and he ran into me. You know, it wasn't a problem. I had to be there for the play at the plate, and he came back, and he apologized to me later said, you know, I'm sorry about that. And I told him, you have absolutely nothing to apologize. You are, this is your game. You play as hard as you can. If I'm in your way, you feel no, you just run right over me. My job is to stay out of your way. It is your day today. And uh, I, every kid that gets into the box, I say, yes, sir, no, sir, hop into the box, son. How are you? Good. Is that a strike? Yes, sir, it is. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yes, sir. And, and the coaches appreciate it parents appreciate it the kids appreciate it because i know it's about their day not mine right um and and i find that to be very helpful now we were also talking about multiple hats of um how you were doing a nine-year-old game and then you were doing more of an elite level uh, of yeah. a high level travel team um you you did mention that you are an actor now how does do those two worlds conflict officiating and acting uh very well because one of the things about officiating is you get busy you can block out your days and disappear for several months and then come back and clear out your calendar and you'll get assigned again right um also my favorite i was on broadway when my son was 12 or 11 and uh, it was my favorite thing because i would meet my co-coach in the park at 2 30 we'd set out the field the kids would come out i'd throw a couple hours of batting practice uh drop you know, walk out into the subway, go into town, take a shower, go on stage, do the show, come back. Uh, there were weekend mornings where I would coach a game in the morning, hop on the train, go in, do a matinee, hop on the train, come back, 
help out in the afternoon game, hop on the train, go back to the evening game. Um, it's it, it, it's actually two uh, two occupations that that uh, lace together very well. Yeah, and I, I also think the other dynamic of how you have to really stretch your brain because those are two separate entities where you might have to memorize lines in one thing, and then another thing is of how you have to focus and witness calls and then adjudicate the correct calls at all times. It's such a great way to, to exercise your mind at all times. That's great. Yeah, and, and um, I also have said to my son that he and I have exactly the same job. My job is at 8 o'clock to be 100% ready to be the best that I can be that day. And his job is when the phone rings and they point to him, to go out and put his foot on that rubber and be the best that he could possibly be that day. And then tomorrow we'll go do it again and we'll try and even be better. That's it. That's all we do. Okay, there's one interesting dynamic that I did want to speak to you on before that we didn't uh, pre-determine. Uh, but, see, in basketball, there's two, there's two positions. There's the lead and the trail, right? And we basically have dual responsibilities. Now, baseball... You're left to your own devices, your presence, your voice, and you sound very stentorian, obviously, because you're an actor. Um, but there's a big difference between being behind the dish and the field. What do you prefer, and what are the main differences between the two? I don't have a preference. Um, I know a lot of people do. I, I don't. I find working the field as tiring as working the plate. Mm -hmm. So neither of that matters to me. When it's 120 degrees, I don't like being behind the plate, but nobody does. But it's the job, and we do it. Um, I understand, and I have been trained by college and minor league umpires, that the, the man behind the plate, it is his game. I am here to help. We talk as we go to the field and go over our pregame. We have our signals. Um, I know the signal that I'm going to give him if I have information he needs and doesn't have. And he knows the signal back to me if he has information. In other words, John, you just blew that call. Come talk to me. Um, we have all that worked out beforehand, but it's that the, the dish guy's game. If he needs me, he'll come and ask me. Um, and I am here to help him completely. Uh, there's a lot more running when you're in the field. Uh, but I can still beat a 17-year-old from first to third because he has to go around and touch second. Right. So I can still get there. And the day I can't beat him there, then I'm done. Because uh, he deserves to get the play at third base called properly. And if I'm not in the right position, I'm guessing, and I do not want to guess. What's one of your most stickiest situations as a baseball official? Can you remember one that kind of sticks out? Well, there's, I mean, I mean, someone once asked me the hardest call in baseball, and I think it's the foul ball in the box because I have a catcher and a batter in front of me. I have really no idea if it hit his foot or not. Hmm. Um, so uh, the first, you know, I, I, it's one of the first things in my pregame with my partner I go over. I say, if you have a foul ball in the box, please call it right away. Don't wait for me. Just jump on it. Um, the other one is, you know, there are some rules in the rule book that are not intuitive. And these cause a lot of trouble. I, I had a game once, a runner on third, and uh, I'm in the, the seat position. Kid hits a line drive. I start moving to get out of the way, and the darn thing curves and hits me right in the ribs. I call time, and I say, runner, you know, batter, you are on first base. Runner third, you stay put. And the coach starts screaming at me, and he goes, that's ridiculous. And I said to coach, I agree. It's the stupidest rule. 
but it's what they wrote, so it's what we're going to do today. And he starts laughing. He goes, that's really what they wrote? And I went, yeah. He goes, well, I can't fight with that. I said, no, I'm sorry, man. I tried to get out of the way. And that's what happens when you uh, have extensive rule knowledge. You can definitely be protected. And I think that's something that uh, players, coaches alike, and fans as well, uh, they should keen in on because sometimes they think that just because we enforce the rules, we agree with the rules. We only enforce the rules in which we are given. And that doesn't necessarily mean that if we imbibe and imbue our own personal opinion that we're going to agree with it. We're just doing what the letter of the law says. You would agree with and that, right, John? It's, it's, it's what we have to do. And, and what's worse is going from, you know, travel ball, the OBR, the official baseball rules code, to the NFHS, the high school code, and then going to the NCAA code. Those are three completely different sets of rules. And right. high school has 137 rule differences with the major league rule book. And a lot of people watching games and a lot of coaches watching games or, or working games don't know the differences. So, uh, you know, I got yelled at last year because there was a, a fake to third in a high school game. And I didn't call the balk. And the guy starts screaming at me that, you know, that's a balk. And I said, you're right. In a, in a travel game, that's absolutely a balk. But high school didn't change that rule. So it's not. And this is a high school game. That's what we're calling today. Um, so it does cause confusion. I wish everybody could agree, but I understand why high school does what they do. Yeah, and to your point, um, especially on the basketball court, um, there's not only high school, college, and pro rules, there's also differences between the men's and the women's game. So you jumble yep. that up and you think about how many people watch basketball all the time. And then you think about a AAU travel team and the, fan, and the fans and the parents and they're screaming. And they don't even know what rule they're speaking of because there's so right. many different games and they don't know the rules in which that we're playing with. And, and, and in their defense, they're seeing something that just smells fishy. Something's mm -hmm. wrong here. I don't know what it is, but, I, you know, that, that just doesn't seem fair what just happened. And they might be absolutely right. It doesn't seem fair, but that's what the game says it is. So that's what we're doing today. What's one of your fondest memories of uh, officiating baseball? And I also wanted to ask you, have you ever had the pleasure or uh, much to your chagrin, have you ever had the opportunity to officiate Adam in a game? When he was a kid, um, I w we were doing an exhibition game and I got behind the plate and I, I guess he was about 10 and he pitched, and at the end of the inning, he goes over to the fence uh, where my wife has a juice box for him, and he looks at her and goes, Daddy won't give me the corner. <laughs> and, and that was a bad day. Um, so that's the only time I ever called a game that he was involved in. And, in fact, I did not start um, umpiring high school until every player I had ever coached had graduated high school and was gone. I... I um, one of the problems is you're always tougher on your own. And I think if one of my pitchers was on the hill, I'm giving him one tough, tight, real major league, top-notch strike zone. Um, I may be tougher on him than I am on the other guy because I want him to succeed and get to the next level where that's the strike zone he's got fine. So, no, I have not, not since he was 10 have I called one of his games. That's good. And what about any of your fondest memories officiating the game of baseball? Well, I was lucky enough uh, two years ago to do the PSAL final game in Yankee Stadium. Wow. So I got onto the field at Yankee Stadium before my son did. 
um, which is the only time I will ever outdo him on a baseball field. Um, and it was it was nice too because the the uh, team that won was from the Lower East Side, and they played in one of the leagues that I worked from the time they were eight years old. And I jogged out to first base, and the, the first baseman looked at me and goes, "You?" And I went, "You got someone better?" <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I'm just surprised. And I went, "I'm surprised too." And it's good to see you here. And congratulations. And I wish you the best. And let's go see what happens. And um, you know, that was, it was very nice. And, and as I was leaving the field, I saw their youth coach sitting in the stands and he had a grin from ear to ear. And I looked at him and I, I said to him, my mouth to him, this was your work because baseball players are not made in high school. Unfortunately, the rules don't allow high school coaches to do a lot of coaching. Um, they're pretty, you know, they're, they have practice limitation rules 15 days before the first game. And, I don't know about you, but I can't teach a kid anything in 15 days. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so the youth coaches who made those players into players, those are the guys that allowed them to win the city championship, and it was good for everybody. Okay, so just a little bit of background. Um, I just started officiating the game of baseball three years ago. Um, I kind of got into it by accident. I was working with one of the assigners, um, in the middle school basketball circuit, and he convinced me to take the class. And I was always reluctant because um, I already do lacrosse in the spring. And of course, obviously, as we've mentioned before, I'm a basketball official. Uh, but ever since I took the class, I don't know, it, it's, um, it's something that has um, really been gratifying. I mean, being behind the plate, being behind the dish, and watching some of these great pitchers and excellent fielding and, and hitting. I've never played the game but I've always loved the game. I grew up watching terrible Yankee teams, Danny Tartable, Kevin Moss, and I just have, you remember those teams? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I didn't have any cable, and I only had either, it was either Ralph Kiner in the Mets or Bobby Mercer in the Yankees, and either way, it was terrible. Uh, but, you know, I sat through it, and, you know, when you didn't have any cable and, and there was nothing else to watch in the summer, those baseball games were always my entertainment. So I always gravitated towards baseball and one of the first experiences of me really really loving the game was game seven of the 1991 world series when um dan gladden hit that walk off mm -hmm. uh, or was it kirby puckett kirby puckett hit the sacrifice fly and then dan gladden scored and it was yeah. such a thrilling game and jack morris was was uh just i, I just love i just love that type of pitching and and that carried me to, to this day um but i caught wind of john adovino and somebody suggested that there's this email chain with, um, with the rule of the day, and he gave me your email. It was, um, it was something that was eye-opening because I didn't realize how many rules that there were. So where did you get your affinity towards um, the rules in general? Well, when I was coaching, uh, uh, there was a, a number of situations that came up where one of my players would make a mistake and it, he made the mistake simply because he didn't understand the rules of the game. And I thought, well, okay, um, it's good to work hard. It's good to work smart, but it's best to work hard and smart. So I started every practice and every game at the end, as we were um, debriefing what had happened, we added um, a quote of the day and a rule of the day. So it started with the boys when they were nine years old. At the end of every practice, every game, there was a rule of the day. And then also from the Louisville Slugger Complete Guide to Hitting, 
there were a million quotes from hitters of the past. And so I copied those quotes, and I would give on a piece of paper every day, every practice, a quote about hitting from some guy who was a great hitter from the past. And then we would have a rule of the day. So when uh, I began umpiring, I was asked to be on the board of one of the umpire organizations that was being run by a fellow who ran a league that I had coached in. And uh, he said, you know, everybody's on the board has to have a job. What job do you want? And I said, how about I send out a rule of the day to everybody? And he went, that sounds great. Let's do that. And then when I was, I went over to the high school assigner and I said, listen, I'm doing this for the other guys. Do you think the umpires in our, in this association would like it? He said, send it out, see what they, you know, what the reaction is. So that's how it began. And that started about five, six years ago. And um, I've done it ever since. Wow. So it's been five and six years that that email has been going out. Yeah. Amazing. And how many, over the years, how many people have you been amassed of, of receiving and distributing this, this list? Oh, my list has probably five or 600 names on it. Um, so 600, um, five or 600 umpires get a rule of the day every day. And some of those then get forwarded to others. So I really don't know how big the web is. Um, but it's, it's quite a few people. Um, have you ever had any uh, situations where you didn't have enough material or you always have material each day? I can always find something to write about. I, when, I, when I first started do, you know, publishing this, um, I was interested and I would send out all of the rules that I had witnessed umpires get wrong along the years. The, the tricky little stuff, uh, movable base rule kid slides into a base the base moves he chases the base he's not heading to the next base he's just chasing that base he gets tagged he's out actually he's not the base moved he cannot be put out unless he makes me think he's going to the next he didn't make me think he's going to the next no but uh, he followed the base you're not allowed to follow the base yes you are um so i would deal with all of those rules um all of the stuff that confuses people um, the schoolyard rules. Then people would start sending me questions. This happened in my game yesterday. What about this? What about this? What about this? And so then I would put that out to everybody. Occasionally I would send out a rule that people would disagree with. They would say, I don't think you have that right. And sometimes very advanced umpires would come back and go, yeah, you're right, but. And then they would clear stuff up and then I'd send that out mm. because I do not pretend to be the authoritative source. The authoritative source is the book. Beyond that, the authoritative source is whatever we agree that it is. If it's not in the book, we got to deal with it. So how are we going to deal with the fact that in our game, sometimes there's a, a, a hole in front of the pitcher's mound that was dug by the previous doubleheader. And this guy doesn't want to put his foot in the hole. So he's a little bit off the side of the rubber. And the book says, gee, he has to be in completely in front of the rubber. No, I'm not forcing him back into the hole. I'm going to let him play. Um, gee, he's not touching the rubber. Yeah, but he's in the hole. Leave him alone. Those kinds of things that that we can share with each other. Yeah, and it's 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 good to have that prior knowledge if if you're really into the rule book because you know something like that. Some of those situations that you've already mentioned, you might never see that ever. But it's good to know that you know how to handle the situation if it does indeed happen. Hello. I'm here. I'm sorry. You there? I'm here. Okay, I thought I, thought I lost you. No, we're good. Um, 
yeah, well, but that's also one of the one of the things is is our job is also to know that thing that's going to happen a million to one, and son of a gun, it happens in the last inning of the playoff game where it's two two, and this thing is going to change one team's life. And you better know that rule, um, and if if you don't. Uh, I, I don't know if you are aware that down in Georgia, I think it was two seasons ago, there was a rule that they got wrong, or the um, the umpires got it right on the field. The coaches protested the game, and the, the state board got the rule wrong, reversed the umpire's call, and the wrong team won the state championship. That's a disgrace. That's that's a disaster. Yeah, that's not good that, at all. That, that cannot that cannot happen in in at one of my games. Yeah, under and, no circumstances. And it, it's also one of the things I promised myself. I, I said, you know, I know I can be out of position. I know I can get outrun by a teenager. I know a lot of things can, you know, that that I can make a mistake. Um, you know, I, I can squeeze a guy. I can have a strike zone that's too tight or too generous. Okay, fine. I'm not going to be perfect. But the one thing I can control is whether or not I know the rule book. So I stuck my nose in it as best I can. And, you know, if, if I'm – the other thing I do when I'm doing rule of the day is I'm re-educating myself. I'm going through the book a little bit every day, which is what we're supposed to do anyway. Where do you see the rule of the day going in the future? And how long do you plan on doing this? Uh, I will do it. I don't know how long I'm going to umpire. I will umpire certainly until I can't. Uh, you know, if something happens, like I said, if I can't race a kid to third base, then I'm not doing it anymore because he deserves to get the call right. Um, uh, my wife is about to retire, so she wants to travel. I don't know if I'll be umpiring after that. I can do rule of the day, you know, indefinitely. I saved them all. I have about 600 pages of it. Uh, so I may pass it on to someone else, um, or I may just take the whole 600 pages and um, – send it to all of the guys on my umpire list and go, here's everything, guys. If you have any questions, it's probably in here. Feel free to share this with the whole world. And um, I'm done. So I don't know what, I don't know how it's going to go. It's going to go until it, it doesn't go anymore. Yeah, I, I just want to say personally, it's been rewarding to read those things. What is the other, do you have any other great uh, feedback stories from um, some of the rules that you sent? Any, any well, great it, comments that you've had? It is always nice to be in a parking lot you know, dressing and a coach comes by and, you know, some, there are a few coaches that are on my list. Um, and there are some umpires, you know, there are high school coaches who also umpire travel ball. Um, you know, so I, I had a, a coach that I respect an awful lot come up to me in the parking lot one day and said, you have made me better. And, and that's very gratifying. And I've had umpires, you know, thank me many times. And, and then there's the other one, um, you know, where a guy comes up and says, man, I had a thing the other day, and you put a rule of the day out on it. Man, I got it right, and I never would have otherwise. So it's like those are, those are the good parts. Yeah, I'll just say personally for me, um, normally my, my rule um, experience is if it happens to me, I retroactively look at the book to see if there's anything corresponding. I think what's great about the way you're rolling it out is that instead of, you know, some people – maybe don't want to thumb through the rule book. And I think this is a good digestible way that they can get knowledge piecemeal. And then that way they can accrue knowledge over time 
in a bite-sized way instead of thumbing through a, a book where, you know, they may or may not enjoy doing it, but want to still know the knowledge. And I'm always out, you know, I'm always scouring the web for, for video clips. Uh, I just sent 40 out. Uh, Ted Barrett um, has uh, has done a series of video clips on, on rules. And I just, you know, the last 40 rules of the day were the rules that he covered. I put the link to his video clip. I threw out the rule. And, and um, so I'm always getting, you know, and, and C.B. Buckner that comes to every year to talk to one of the associations I'm in. And I grab him, and and you know whenever I have things that I can't find an answer to, uh, and he's been very helpful. Um, of course, I can't get too friendly with him because he has a job to do, and my son has a job to do. Right. Um, so, uh, but you know he's been very helpful, and um, you know uh, so I, I, once a year I get a chance to clear out all, all of my question marks, um, and that that helps too. Right, and to all the players, coaches, and officials for the game of baseball, this is obviously a must-read daily email that will surely enrich your experience with the game. And if you want to be added, uh, what's the email that they should get to, to get it? And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, just send it to j.ottavino, O-T-T-A-V like Victor, I-N-O, at A-T-T dot net. And um, just tell me they want to be on it, and I'll add you to my email list. That's great. And, and anyone who then does not want to be on it can always just, just tell me and I'll take your name off. you have any final thoughts on anything? Uh, yes. They would have gotten rid of umpires and referees a long time ago <laughs> if they could have. But we're because we're expensive. We are. But without, but without us, they can't play. The boys aren't learning anything when you have two grown-ups yelling at each other across the field about something that both of them are wrong about. Um, it, it's somebody has to somebody has to adjudicate this. Somebody has to be the final arbiter, and that's what we do. Um, and uh, most of the guys I know are trying to do it as well as they possibly can. There are people, as in everything, that are better at it than others. Um, but we're trying the best we can, and if you're better, buy the equipment, take the class, and come on out because all of us, all the time, want to get it right. That's amazing. Um, I th- John, I thank you for your time. This was an amazing conversation. Um, I just hope that all referees out there, um, this is something worthwhile for the referee community, and um, I hope keep you keep doing your thing, and I will keep doing my thing. Very good. Thank you. No problem. Referee Rant, signing out.